The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez by Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Thank you, thank you. I did practice. All right, let's pray. Father God, uh, thank you so much uh, just for this season of Christmas and Advent and how we celebrate how Christ came to us and uh, just a reminder that it took a long process, but God, you're faithful to your promises and we're so thankful for that. Thank you for Give Sunday for a chance to uh, just give back to the incredible generosity that you've given to us. And uh, Lord, we just pray that our hearts will be open and sensitive to what you have for us today, that we'll hear your word and respond to it accordingly. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Ethan. I think that's the first time people have clapped after <laughs> done reading a scripture. So great job. Put a lot of practice in. All right. So um, if this is your first time here, welcome. My name is Randall. Uh, I get to be the lead pastor here. It's a great gift. And uh, this morning we are uh, going to be starting a new series. We're in the Advent season. And uh, so you probably saw the signs outside saying Advent. And for some of us, maybe you, you haven't grown up in a church that particularly talked about Advent, um, but all of us have celebrated it. Uh, if it. If it be around the time of Christmas, what this is, Advent uh, in Latin means arrival. It's the arrival. And so it's this anticipation of Jesus's arrival as king. Um, and what we learn through the life of Jesus, and we're, we're going to be going through the, bu- the book of Matthew, the first couple chapters uh, in Advent season. But what we learn in the life of Jesus is this, that God is not a distant God, but he did everything he could to come near to us. The God of the Bible loves us intimately so much that he was willing to become so vulnerable and become a baby. I want us to think about that for a minute because it really should be shocking to us. It should make us think, is that true? Could God become a baby? Jay Packer, who was thinking on this very thing, he says this. He says, the almighty, 
appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as the truth of the incarnation. God becoming man. Why would God do this? So that he shows us he is not this distant God that doesn't care. But he comes so close to show us who he is. And so our text today is Matthew 1, 1 through 17. And let me be honest. You know, you, you think about the genealogy, genealogy of Jesus and you're going through reading in Matthew and, and reading in Luke. Um, and probably you read through it and your eyes start to glaze over a little bit. You're reading all these things. Or maybe you just skip past it. I get it. All these names of people that I really don't know much about. But today, I want us to see the importance of this. And so the message today is entitled, The Lineage of a King. The Lineage of a King. So as we're reading through Matthew, the lineage that he gives us, this is the lineage particularly of Joseph. In the book of Luke, you'll find the lineage of Mary. But this is particularly... Joseph's lineage, and, and Jesus is in this line of kings. And so in studying the book of Matthew, commentator William Barclay says this. He says, Matthew's picture of Jesus is the man born to be king. Jesus walks through his pages as if in the purple and gold of royalty. And so as we read through the book of Matthew, that's what we should see is King Jesus and so what's the heart of Jesus' arrival? It's this. It's that he is a coming king and that this genealogy, it's a royal lineage of Jesus. And we must ask today, like, why does it matter that Jesus is king? Right? Like, I get it. Like, because even this week we were reading in, um, in our city group this particular passage. And it says that Jesus didn't become king, but he was born king. But why does that matter? Well, for many of us, if we're honest, ultimately we all need a king. If we're honest, many of us are looking for a king. And we do it in a lot of different ways. But we're all looking. There, there's some emptiness inside of us that says, I need a king. Blaise Pascal, who was a French mathematician, uh, he wrote this short book uh, called Pensies, which is just thoughts. All right? He didn't have a long life, but his life really mattered. Okay? And he was a Christian. And here's what he says. He says, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim? But, but that there was once a, in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there, the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help. Though none can help. Since this infinite abyss can be filled with, and only filled with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. He's saying that you and I have this, this deep emptiness in all of us. Charles Taylor, who studied this generation, and as we've written off God and said, there is no God, he's saying we are more empty than ever. And studies would show that it's true. We need something. We need something to fill that emptiness in us. 
And so what is it that's going to fill the emptiness in our hearts? Let me suggest that it could be found in a baby in a manger. That the love of the world, the, the thing that you and I need more than anything, can be found in a manger. And so our text today is Matthew 1, 1 through 17, and, and, and we are looking at the family line of Jesus. So what can this teach us about Jesus' kingship? What can this teach us about Jesus' kingship? Not that we're just kind of scrolling past it, eyes glazed over, but what is it that deep down we can learn from this? Well, it reveals to us three important aspects of who Jesus is, and, and it, re- it reveals this. Uh, number one, that there was a historical angst a historical angst. Number two, that there are raw details that are in this genealogy. Number three, there's a glorious hope. So three things, historical angst, raw details, glorious hope. So the first point, historical angst. Uh, Look at verse one. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Um, Why does Matthew give such detail in this genealogy. Well, first, Matthew is trying to reinforce that the birth of Jesus is not a work of fiction, but is in fact something that happened within history. You see, he doesn't start out like this. In a distant land long, long ago. Or he doesn't start like this. In a galaxy far, far away. Don't you feel like there's something wrong when there's not a Star Wars movie coming around, out around this time? See, see what this does is, is, is Matthew is giving us in the genealogy of Jesus real people in real places. We see it in the book of Luke and he documents it throughout the book. This is important for us because the historicity of Jesus has been questioned there are people who, who say, well, Jesus wasn't real. He wasn't, he's just a fiction of the Christian imagination. But uh, one professor at King's College, uh, Richard uh, Burge, he says this. He says, there are those who argue that Jesus is a figment of the church's imagination, that there never was a real Jesus at all. I have to say that I do not know any respectable critical scholar who says that anymore. Okay, so we n- need to know that Jesus is historical, real places, real people, historical. And Matthew is laying that out. But second, in in starting with this genealogy, uh, this would have made complete sense to a Jewish reader. Right, to us, it doesn't make sense. Like, why, why, why all these names? Can't you just get into the story? Where is Jesus at? What, what's happening? But this is particularly to the Jewish readers, and so this would have made perfect sense. See, it was common practice to give the pedigree of the person to show the credibility of who they were. And so he, he starts by saying, the book of the genealogy, the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Matthew starts out by using the two biggest names in Jewish history and is saying this, yes, yes, both of these, the one that you find in all the way back in Genesis, Abraham and David, King David are linked to Jesus. They're connected to him. 
Matthew is showing that in every way, Jesus has the pedigree, not of a peasant, but a king. Yet, how did he come into the world? He looked very much like a peasant. He looked very much like a peasant. Right? There, were, there was no place for Jesus. And so he's born in a barn. Right? And so we think about this. This is important. Now, why, why does all this matter? Because there's a historical angst. There's a historical angst. Because all the way back in Genesis 3.15, there was this promise that was given. There was this promise. And the promise was this. Jewish rabbis believed it, that, that God was going to ultimately save his people from their sins. And so we see the problem of sin enter into the world in Genesis chapter 3. But in Genesis 3.15, there is this prediction. You might not, you, again, this might be one of those things you just scroll right over. You don't even see it. But it's within the curses that there's the gospel truth. There's the good news that God was going to send a son. He's going to send a child that would ultimately defeat the work of Satan. And so it's right there. And what it's called is the Proto-Evangelion. It's the first gospel. And so we find this all the way back in Genesis 3.15, that God was going to save his people. And what we'll see is throughout history, there is this angst. When is God going to send him? When's God going to send the Messiah? During this time, the, the people were coming off of 400 years of silence from God, that he said he was going to be silent, and then the Messiah was going to come. And Matthew is now crying out to anyone who would listen. He's saying, he's here. It's true. I know there's been historical angst all the way from Genesis as sin entered the world, but now is the one who will save us from our sin. He's here. You see, one of the things that my kids ask me after we watch movies is they turn to me and they say, Dad, was that true? Doesn't matter if it's a cartoon, regular movie. You know, it's just like, Dad, was that true? Did that really happen? And what Matthew's doing here is he's turning to us and saying, yes, it did. It's true. It happened. And I'm giving you the evidence now to, to, to anchor you in that truth. And so now, what, what's the second aspect of this that, that Matthew wants to tell us here? He, he's giving us also, as we see this historical angst, and that's why this is so important, so many generations here listed, now he gives us the raw details. The raw details. You're like, well, what does that mean? Well, in verses 3, 5, and 6, it's very interesting. Here's what it says. And, and Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. Then skip down to verse 5. And Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed, the father of Jesse and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Okay, what's going on here? Well, what we find is that in this genealogy, uh, there are some shocking details in Jesus' lineage. These are the type of details that you would probably want to exclude. The things that you really don't want to talk about in a family history or lineage. Um, you know, my, my, there, there's a part of my family history that I don't know much about. 
my grandmother was born during the Great Depression, and uh, she had a very difficult life. Her, her sister raised her, but the thing I don't, I, I don't know much about is my great-grandparents on her side. I don't know much about them. And more recently, what I heard is that they abandoned my grandmother and her sister, so she had to take care of, my, her sister had to take care of her, and, and they were drunkards, and they, they cared very little for the kids at all. And so they basically just abandoned them and left. We, I don't even know their name. Right? And so that's only a few generations removed from me. And I don't know who they are. It's basically like they were just like kind of cut out of the lineage. But what we see here is that that doesn't happen in Jesus's lineage. There, there, are, there are three points that should really stick out to us about this um, that's included in Jesus's genealogy. And the first one is this, that there are moral outsiders. There are moral outsiders that are in this lineage. Uh, verse three talks about Tamar. Now, if you read in the Old Testament, Tamar was in an incestuous relationship. Something that you just wouldn't want to put in there. Uh, Verse 5 talks about Rahab, who was a prostitute. Verse 6 talks about David, and David particularly was a murderer and an adulterer. See, what does it it say about David there? What what it says is, is it, it doesn't just say David was the father of Solomon, but it adds this little phrase in there, by the wife of Uriah. Well, what do we know about Uriah? That Uriah was willing to give his life on the front lines for David. That Uriah was a good man. That Uriah did everything he could to protect David as a friend. Yet David put him on the front lines to be killed so he could have his wife. It's ugly, it's messy but it's in scripture. And so we see moral outsiders that are in this lineage. Second, we find racial outsiders. There are Gentiles, uh, non-Jews that are named in Jesus's lineage. Some of them are uh, right there with Rahab, who is not of Jewish descent. And so we see people that would have been racial outsiders. But then we also see uh, in that culture, gender outsiders, Historically, women were not named in genealogies. But in Jesus' genealogy, they are. And so it's an amazing thing to see all of those that are included here. You see, during this time, people like Herod would have taken their lineage and they start to omit people that didn't make them look good within their lineage because what it was is like a resume. But Jesus' lineage doesn't do that. And we have to ask why. Here's why. Because in every way, Jesus embraces the moral outsider, the racial outsider, the gender outsider, so that we know anyone can be saved by his grace. That everyone is invited to the table through Jesus. Matthew does not spare the raw details because he is pointing to the darkness of this world. And the deep need we all have for the light of Jesus. You see, back in Isaiah 9, 2, it it talks and predicts Jesus' coming. And here's what it says. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. 
On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. How does it describe our world in the scriptures? It describes it as a dark place. As a dark place. But when Jesus breaks through, it says that the light of Jesus breaks through into the darkness. Right? We think about the dark places in our lives. Jesus breaks into those places. And he does that in a powerful way. And so lastly, the genealogy reveals a glorious hope. A glorious hope. And so verse 17, it says, So all the generations from Abraham to David were were, were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. All right, so what, what does this mean here? You're like, I need um, Blaise Pascal to do some mathematician stuff for me. Like, what's going on here? Well, Matthew is saying that historically, through all of the broken, dark generations that he just listed, Jesus is the fulfillment of a glorious hope. Right? There's like all this brokenness throughout the Old Testament, all this brokenness in Jesus' lineage, in his own family line. And that God breaks through in a powerful way with a glorious hope that covers all of these generations. You see, the number seven is a, is a number for completion in the scriptures. I say, okay, let, let me add this up here. What does this mean? 14 plus 14 plus 14, 42, got it. Okay, um, well, Jewish readers would have seen that Matthew is saying Jesus is the ultimate completion of history. He's the ultimate completion of this family line and that everything throughout history is pointing to him. See, he's the king that is greater than any king past, present, and future. And his life, his life is what anchors human history. See, it's it's through him coming into the world that we see everything in the future and everything in the past illuminated because in this dark world, it is Jesus who does that. And so quickly, just some takeaways. Okay, so from the lineage, how do we respond? What's, what's some takeaways from that? Well, the first one is this. Do you believe you need the king? Let me ask, do you believe you need the king? Right, like not, not do you know about the king, but do you need the king? Brennan, Brennan Manning once said this. He says, It remains a startling story to those who never understand that men and women who are truly filled with light are those who have gazed deeply into the darkness of their imperfect existence. Right, like what is it that we should be thinking about as we think about the coming of Jesus into the world? We should reflect on our own lives. We should reflect on our own family tree, our own lineage, Because as we look through the the family tree of Jesus, we see darkness. We see brokenness. We see people that that need God, that need light. And so as we look at the family tree of Jesus, what do you see when you look at your own lineage? What do you see when you go to that place and say, let's be honest about our past, do you see darkness? Do you see the need for a glorious hope? 
our lives should reveal a need for the king. You know, one of the interesting things that we talked about, um, again, in our city group, I thought it was a great point. Terry was, was talking, and, and, and one of the things that he was talking about was this, that there's this prophecy all the way back in Psalms where uh, it talked about Jesus basically being made, made fun of. Being uh, made fun of because people would have thought that he was born out of wedlock. Right? If you know the story of, of Jesus being born into the world, uh, Mary and Joseph are to be married, but they weren't married yet, and then they find her pregnant. And so the thing is, if you place her into that community of people, and they see that Mary and Joseph aren't married, and then Jesus comes, well, what do they think? That he was born out of wedlock. And so very it's very, very um, possible that people would have just looked at Jesus and said, oh, he was born out of wedlock. This, this guy, he, he, look at his life. Like, how, how could he be the Messiah? How could it be Jesus? There's very little respect for Jesus. And so it, it says in Isaiah that, that Jesus himself was, was persecuted, was torn down because of, his life. He was a man of sorrows. So I want you to think about that for a minute. Like, what did Jesus go through because of the darkness of this world? He was torn down in every way. And so maybe some of you come in here today feeling like because of my family tree, because of my family, family line, I'm marked, I'm marred because of that. And I just want you to know that there is hope today because of Christ, because of Jesus. And he's able to cover that and bring light into your life. And so do you believe you need the king? Do you believe you need his light to come in? Here's my second question. Do you believe Jesus could embrace you? Do you believe that Jesus could embrace you? See, see do, you, do you feel like you, you've done too much? Would you label, label yourself as an outsider? If, if you think that today, I just want you to look at this. Like, look at the lineage of Jesus and say this. He didn't reject the Rahab. He didn't reject the David. He didn't reject them. But instead, he embraces them. And I just want you to know that today, his grace is sufficient for you as well. His kindness towards you is sufficient as well. His love for you is there. You know, Hebrews 2.11 tells us that Jesus is not ashamed to call you and me family. He's not ashamed to call you and me family. And I want you to think about this. There, there are times where you might have uh, friends or people in your life that maybe you're just ashamed of. You're just ashamed, and it's one of those things like, oh, I hope they didn't just see me right now. You know, like one of those types of things where you're trying to distance yourself. And I want you to hear me today that Jesus is not like that. Jesus is not like that. How do I know? How do you know? Because Jesus was treated like that. Why? For you and me. He was cast out so that we could be brought in. That's the gospel today. 
It wasn't that we cleaned our lives up and said, okay, God, let me in. Look at me, look at all I've done. No, it's that Jesus has invited us in, messy, broken people, and says, I'll be cast out for you. He was cast out in the cold for you and me so that we could be brought into a home. That's what he's done. That's what Christmas is. That's why the incarnation is so amazing, so incredible. It's because Jesus was cast down so that you and I could be embraced. In his book, Hidden Christmas, Timothy Keller writes, he says, in The New Yorker, Anthony Lane said about Tolkien's novel, The Lord of the Rings, it is a book that bristles with bravado and yet to give into it, to cave into it, as most of us do on a first reading, betrays a reluctance to face the finer shades of life that verges on the cowardly. What he's saying is this, that you and I, we read these stories, we read things like the Lord of the Rings, we read all these fantasy things that my kids watch and say, wow, I wish that were true. And we say it can't be true because this, dark, this world is just too dark. There's no way it could be true because there's just so much negative, destructive things happening around us. There's no way it could be true that any type of fantasy like this could be real. But then Keller responds. He says, the great fairy tales, they not really happen, of course, and yet they seem to fulfill a set of longings in the human heart that realistic fiction can never touch or satisfy. That is, such de- uh, that is because in the human heart, there are these desires to experience the supernatural, to escape death, to know love that we can never lose, to age but live long enough to realize our creative dreams, to fly, to communicate with non-human beings, to triumph over evil. If the fantasy stories are well told, we find them incredibly moving and satisfying. Why? is because even though we know that factually the stories didn't happen, our hearts long for these things and a well-told story momentarily satisfies those desires. And let me tell you today, could you believe that there was a God that wasn't distant but came near? That his glory was so great that he tells those who followed him before, that my glory is too great for you to experience. If you were to experience it, it would kill you. You would die. That's how glorious God is. But I want you to experience me. And so I'll become like you. I'll become one of you. And it's just like John says in John 1, that we have experienced his glory, that we have received grace upon grace, as we experienced God become man. Could you believe that that's true? Could you believe that the king that you've been longing for all of your life has come? And that he's come in the person of Jesus Christ. I invite you, as we think on Advent, as we think on the arrival of Christ, that's the meaning of Christmas. And as we venture towards this, as we journey through the book of Matthew, I hope that's good news to your heart. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for what you've done. And I pray, Lord, that we see that this is not fantasy or fiction, but this is true. It's so fantastic. It's so amazing that, God, you came and became like us. 
And as we go through the book of Matthew here in your story, I pray that you'll bring it to life for our hearts to see. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.